Well, it's great to have you here this morning. My, uh, my brother and his wife are here with us, so if you hear somebody smarting off, being sarcastic during the sermon, it's probably my brother. But he is an Ohio State Buckeyes fan, so he can get away with it. The rest of you, good luck. Well, this morning, um, we're going to start off with a, with a clip of a really uh, a sacred classic. Um, it's something that, that probably has blessed your heart many times. It's probably one of those movies that, that you go to for inspiration when you're, when you're needing a little pick-me-up. Um, and when you're watching Shrek, it's hard not to laugh at some of the things. And so I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to tell you the things that I think are funny because um, it pr- probably wouldn't make you real proud of your pastor. <laughs> Just give you one little clue. My favorite part is they're singing a little song and it ends with, Duloc is the perfect place. If you've watched the movie a bunch of times, you know what that part is. <laughs> I, I won't sing the rest of your song, but um, so I like this reasons, but not for reasons that you probably enjoy. So, um, but I want to I want to play just a little clip for us, and we'll get started this morning. Your information is a lot more to boulders than people think. Example, example. Okay, um, boulders are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers? You get it. We both have layers. <sighs> oh, you both have layers. Oh. You know, not everybody likes onions. Cake! Everybody loves cakes. Cakes have layers. I don't care. What everyone likes. Ogres are not like cakes. How many of you like onions? Be <laughs> praying for you this week. Um, just so, if you don't know this yet, I hate onions. I despise them. They they are. I see. Um, I was gonna I was gonna pull out a scripture. And that uh, starts back in Genesis. Um, you know, after the fall, and God is going through describing how everything is cursed. He's talking about how, how you know, Adam's going to be cursed in this way, and Eve is going to be cursed in this way. And he looks at the serpent and says, you're going to be cursed to the ground because of what you've done. Um, see, there's a, there should be a little asterisk there, because what got left out is that the fruit that they ate off of the tree was an onion, and because it was an onion, God cursed it to the ground. And so the onions that you're eating are actually the reason that we fell as a race. <laughs> Struck a nerve. But uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're not talking about onions. I just, I want you to know that I hate onions. But we are going to do, we are talking about layers. And, you know, just like ogres have layers, we have layers. And we're going to be in John chapter 4. And if you want to get out your Bible, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of reading this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover in terms of the scripture that we're going to be reading. 
But we're going to try and peel back some of the layers. We're going to try and get down deep into uh, who we are, and we're going to use the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, to do that. As we're, as we're going through the morning, as we're talking about the story, as we're kind of making our way through this, I would like you to picture yourselves as the woman at the well. Now, guys, you don't have to make yourself a woman. You don't have to think of yourself as a woman. Just picture yourself as the character that Jesus is talking to. And when we get to the part, if you know the story, when we get to the part where he's talking about the sin that the woman at the well uh, is living in, uh, think about your life and what that might be and put that in there instead of, instead of her, spe- her specific sin. So we're going to do, do a little digging. We're going to try and go deep. Um, it might get a little uncomfortable from time to time. It might get quiet like it is right now. Your palms might start to sweat. You, you may want to get up and leave, but I encourage you not to. Instead, just give God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the permission to dig deep in your heart and your soul this morning. Dig into the recesses of your life. Dig into the parts that, that maybe you've never gone into before. And let him do the work there that only he can do. And we need to let God have, have permission and reign over us. So I want to start John chapter 4. Verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Um, What you may not know is that, that Jews and Samaritans are enemies and have been enemies for a very, very long time. In fact, it was, it was quite a, a charged a, a, they would go and defile each other's temples. They would go do things to, to make sure that everyone knew that their God was the right God, that their temple was the right place to worship. And there was bitterness and hatred and, and strife that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. So when Jews had to travel, so where Jesus is going, when he's going uh, back to Galilee, he would... The easiest way would be to take a straight path from where he was up to Galilee. But because Jews didn't want to go through Samaria, they would often cross the river and go around Samaria and come up to Galilee where, where, they would, where the destination was. And that, that's because they didn't want to even be in the land of the Samaritans. But we see here that Jesus had to, had to go through Samaria. For whatever reason, he had to, whether it's because he knew he needed to have this conversation, which is the longest conversation in all of the Gospels. This is the longest conversation that we have recorded from Jesus, so it is quite significant and worth paying attention to. Now, we had to go through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well it was about the sixth hour. A clue into who Jesus is and his humanity is you see right here that, that Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, Jesus was a man, Jesus was a person. He had to walk in the same way that we walked, and he got tired just as we got tired. Jesus was both fully God and fully man and sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon, according to most scholars' uh, estimates, Right in the middle of the day. It's in the Middle East. It's in the middle of the day. It's warm. So he sits down by the well, and a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, two things you need to know. First, 
in this society, a man would not be asking a woman for a favor. Instead, the woman would just be expected to do something for the man. And like we talked about, Jews would not associate or talk to Samaritans. So we're already out of place. And then we see that the woman had come to gather, gather water in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day. It's warm. So that gives us a clue into who she is a little bit. There's something that she needed to go in the middle of the day instead of in the morning or in the evening when it was cool because they would have to carry a jar of water. So there was some reason that she had to come at noon where the other women weren't. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So you see that she didn't, she didn't, there was a reason she didn't want to come back and draw water. Either it was because it was work or because the people and the other women who would go there had something against her. You know, they didn't like her. She might have been the outcast of the, of the, of the society they lived in. We'll see why here in just a minute. But, but there, were, there were things that were motivating her to not want to come when other women were there. And so she wanted to go by herself. But then she hears Jesus say, give me this, you've got this water so you never be thirsty. Give me this water so I never have to come back here to the well. So he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. They worshiped idols. They worshiped impersonal things that they didn't know, they couldn't know personally. So the Jews were, or the Samaritans were worshiping what they do not know, but the Jews worship what we do know. They worshiped the living God, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. We'll get into the rest of the passage in a little bit. Well, this is week seven of our series, Wake Up. So one, two, three. Wake up! Good. We're waking up to all of the things that, that God actually has in mind for us as his creation. You know, and, I've, and I've said, I think we've kind of fallen asleep. We've drifted off into this, this apathetic sleep, that we, this consumeristic sleep that we just don't care anymore to really pursue what God has for us. And so we've come up with all these excuses and all these reasons that we don't need to be like the Bible says that we need to be. And we're, we're looking and seeing that there's actually a lot different a lot different picture that God has in mind for us. 
So this morning, we're waking up to worship. Now, it's going to take us a while to get to the idea of worship, but I think it's important that we go to the idea of worship in the same way that Jesus got to the idea of worship with this woman. So we're going to start with some layers, and we're going to peel back some of the layers and look at the passage and see the layers that, that Jesus was dealing with. So the first layer was, was an external layer. It was, it was a racist. It was, you know, it was maybe sexist. It was whatever, whatever that external thing, whatever that external thing that you judged, it was this layer. This was the first thing that went up between this woman and everything else. This was the first thing that kept her from, from associating with Jesus or, or talking to Jesus. This was going to be the thing that probably would have kept her from ever even striking up a conversation had Jesus not started the conversation, but it's all superficial. It's all on the surface. And Jesus breaks through this layer really simply, really quickly, really easy by just asking for a drink of water. And she replies, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Well, men didn't talk to women. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. They hated one another. Um, they, they would, you know, like we said, they would go around, they would loop around and not talk to one another. It was hatred that went back, actually, it can be traced back, if you want, all the way to as early as Joseph and his 12 brothers and the division that started there. But it's an outward layer. It's the first thing we put up between us and other people. It's the first thing that we put up between us and God. It's the external things. It's, it's how we look. It's, it's, it's what we wear. It's, it's the skin that we were born with. It's, it's all these things that we put up on the outside that keep us from getting close to God and getting close to other people. And it's, and it's just the wall. It's the, it's the external thing. And while a lot of us in culture have really gotten hung up on this one simple external thing, it's actually the smallest of the layer that we see Jesus dismantle. But it's an outward layer. We don't, we don't come to God because of how we look. We don't come to God because of, of what we're wearing or what kind of clothes we can afford. We don't come to God because of whatever external thing. Or we say that church is only for blank kind of people. We say that church is only for, for rich people. Or we say that church is only for people with nice cars. Or that church is only for people of this skin color or that skin color. This, this church is only for this or that. And so, so we put that up. We make that an external thing, an external layer that keeps us from getting to God. And we decide that's going to keep us from, from pursuing God the way God actually wants us to pursue him. But it's all external. It's just it's a cultural stereotype. It's an excuse so how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it, is, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. A woman would not ask a man for a drink, but Jesus is saying, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I really am, you would be asking me for things. But notice, Jesus didn't say, like we would expect someone in that culture to say, you can't talk to me, you can't ask me questions, we cannot associate with one another, it's inappropriate for us to be here together at the well, we can't, we can't be having this conversation. He didn't say that, he responds to her, he actually initiated the conversation. Um, he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for what I can give you. So I just want to say while we're here, um, we as a church, we don't care what you look like. We don't care what you wear. We don't care how you feel about your appearance. We know, then we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but that God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks at your heart. And that's what we're trying to get to this morning. We're trying to get down to that level of the heart and what it is in your heart this morning that might be keeping you from coming into worshiping God. But, but we don't care about any of that. What we, what we care about is that we are truly following God with all of our heart. 
The second layer is, uh, is our needs. It's, it's kind of internal, but not really. It's, it's our physical need. You know, for, for her, it was water. She needed water. She was going to the well to get water. And this is, this is a layer that, that she can use to keep from coming to God in a real way. For us, it could be not having a house. It could be not having a car. It could be not having enough food on the table. It could not be having this symbol of status. It could be not having whatever it is that, that is a physical need or physical thing. That There could be a hundred things that you put into this category. It's, it's kind of beneath the surface. But, but it's still, it's just physical. It's the second layer. So we don't, we don't worship because we blame God on, on our physical circumstances. We don't worship because there's some physical need that has not been met. And so, so we think, well, God hasn't provided for us. How can I worship a God who doesn't care for me? How can I worship a God who doesn't provide for me? And this is her response to Jesus when he offers this living water. He says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? You, you can see the wall is there. She's, you, know, you, can't, you can't meet this physical need. You don't even have something to draw water with. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're there where, where you have something in your life that, that you have been needing for a long time and, and you just feel like God has not provided it for me and you, and you just wonder, why, God, have you not met this need for me? And Maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Layer number three is Sin. These are the things that keep us from coming to God, the things that keep us from from worshiping God like God wants us to worship him. The first layer was external. The next one is is physical in our body. But this this one is dealing with our heart. Notice in verse 16, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. Her face must have gone white. Her heart probably started pounding so hard in her chest that she could feel it and hear it. Her mouth probably dried up and her hands started to shake. What can I say to him to to get him off of my trail? What can I say that, that won't be a lie but won't be the whole truth? What can I say that will keep me from being condemned but but will cover up the fact that I am living in sin? So she replies, I have no husband. Have you ever said something that that wasn't a lie but wasn't the whole truth either? Have you ever been confronted by someone about something that you are doing and, and you know in your heart that you're doing it, but you come up with something to say in response to get you off the hook? Have you ever have you ever done that? And you think you're in the clear. You think you think there, that'll that'll take care of it. But but the person probably knows that you're not telling the truth. God knows that you're not telling the truth. God knows what's really going on, and you know what's really going on. I have no husband. While we're here, I, I just want to give us a quick warning about sin. Uh, we don't talk about sin a lot in, 
in our culture, it's kind of unpopular to talk about sin, you know, that there might be a right and a wrong and that there might be something that we're doing in our lives that isn't right. You know, we, we don't talk about it that often. And, but I have a warning for you. It's, it's very dangerous to get so used to sin that your conscience doesn't even warn you about it anymore. It's very dangerous to get so used to an area that you are struggling with, an area of sin in your life, that, that your conscience stops triggering you that, hey, this is wrong. And I'm afraid that we've actually gotten to that place in a lot of areas in our culture, that, that there are certain sins that we don't even feel guilty about anymore. And we don't want to feel guilty. We, we think that guilt is a bad thing, but, but really guilt is, is not a bad thing. Guilt is a sign. Guilt is a trigger. Guilt is a warning because it causes us to lean harder into Christ, and it's when we stop feeling guilty where there's a problem. So what is it in your life that you've grown accustomed to? What is it that that thing that you've rationalized and justified a thousand times over? What's that one thing that, that you used to feel so guilty about, but now you've done it for so long and been living that way for so long that you don't even notice it's bad anymore? Because like we said, God knows. God knows about it. Look what happens in this story. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. It's almost that you can almost see Jesus. It's like, you just gave me the perfect opportunity. What? You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man that you're with now is not even your husband. What you've said is quite true. See, God knows. And what I like is just like this, boom! Jesus just called her right on it. Just called her on it. What you have said is quite true. But what I see here is, is, that, is that Jesus actually has peeled back another layer. Because you know, this woman doesn't really know who she's dealing with, but, but she's grown accustomed to putting up walls. She's grown accustomed to putting up things between her and other people, between her and God. So she never actually gets close to anyone in a meaningful way. She never gets close to God at all. The last layer, layer number four, is religion. And this might be the hardest, the thickest layer to crack. This is, this is the hardest layer to get through because it's so built into our lives and our hearts and our society. But if you've ever heard, if you've ever heard us talk or you've ever talked to you know, a, a Christian who really believes in the relationship that they have, then you know that for us, what we do isn't about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's not about all the doing, and, and the doing provides the righteousness, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ that's washed over us that provides the righteousness. It's not, we don't do all these things so that we can get to God. God has already gotten to us, and then we do these things because we love God and because it's Christ in us working out through us the kind of person that he wants us to be. It's, it's not... It's not the rules and regulations that you have to keep in order to get to heaven. 
See, religion is about me. Religion is still personal. It's about me working my way towards something. And if you know very much about the Bible at all, you know that religion doesn't work. Religion doesn't get you to God. Religion doesn't get you close to God. But for this woman to avoid talking about her repetitious, uh, repetitious sin, she throws a religious question at Jesus. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. I'm not talking about my husband's and the guy that I'm living with anymore. I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You can hear her thinking in her head, there. That ought to get him off my back about the husband's thing. But most people stop here. We stop our pursuit of God here in the doing. We stop following God in, in the doing of things and never go deeper into knowing God for who he really is. We, we think we're supposed to do all these things to be righteous, and we have completely missed the mark in what we're supposed to be. We, we think that God wants X, Y, Z, but we go and do a, B, C. God wants X, Y, Z, but, but I go and do X, Y, Z because I'm supposed to, not because I want to, not because God is working that out in me. So we've come up with, with what we think worship is and, and have prescribed what it's supposed to look like, but we stop at what it looks like. We stop at, at the religion of it and don't get to the relationship of it. We stop at, at the looks of worship and we never get to the heart of worship. We never get beyond the doing to the knowing. We, we never get beyond performance to relationship. And we don't get any deeper or go any further than the doing. In fact, I would say we pervert God, and we pervert what God intended for us by making it about ritualistic regulations that we call worship. What did God intend all along? It doesn't, you don't have to go very far. In fact, you can go to the very beginning of the Bible, and you see what God intended when you see this little phrase where, where he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, where the Lord was with them and, and they were together walking in the garden. And that's what God wants for us now and that's what God wants with, for us in eternity. But religion is not about walking with God. The religion is, is about trying to earn your way to God. Religion is about all of these things like, that we do, like coming to church and tithing and, and not lying and trying to obey all of the Ten Commandments, and then we get deeper, you know, we get deeper and we try to obey even more of the commandments, and we try to do this and we try to do that, but we never actually find God because we're caught up in the doing. We never actually worship God because we're caught up in the performance that we call worship. And so Jesus deals with her perversion of what she thinks worship is. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You worship idols. And, but we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, you can see just, he, he just quickly explained what, what's going on. This is, this is how things have been functioning. But, but he says, yet a time is coming and in fact has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen to this. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's not about worshiping in this mountain. It's not about going to this church or to that church. It's not about going to this place or that place or being this kind of person or that person. But it's about being 
wholly surrendered to God in spirit and in truth. And, and we'll get into what those mean in just a minute, but, but they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is dealing with her perversion, but he's also dealing with our perversion of who we think God is and what he wants. The Samaritans worship what you do not know. The Samaritans worshiped idols, and they even changed the Ten Commandments. They added a, a commandment so that they could have their mount where their temple is supposed to be. They added that to their commandments. We just try to do away with the Ten Commandments so we don't have to obey them, or, or we make them rituals and religion. But then Jesus says, we worship what we do know. Jesus knew the Father. Jesus knew the Father very well, Therefore, he literally, very literally knew who he worshipped. Do we know who we worship? Or has worship just become about ritual and regulation? Because Jesus said a time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And in fact, that time has already come and been here for a while. Well, if we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth, what does that mean? Well, spirit, um, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. A spirit is, it's one of the definitions that I really liked and wanted to share with you is, it's the vital principle by which the body is animated. The vital principle, not as in, uh, the thing you do, but principle, kind of like a principle of a school. It's the vital principle by which the body is animated. The rational spirit, the power by which the human being feels, thinks, and decides, etc. That's, that's your spirit. That's the power within you that, that, that governs your feelings, your thoughts, how you decide this or that. It's the influence that, which fills and governs the soul of anyone. It's, it's the influence within you that, that leads you and, and even is guiding how you feel right now in this moment. That is your spirit. But many of us, or some of us, have something or someone that is not of God that is governing our souls. There's someone or something that is not of God that is controlling our spirit. And of course, God is spirit, so... As followers of Christ, when we, come to, when we come to a saving knowledge of Christ, when we know Christ, then we receive the Holy Spirit. And so, so those who worship the Father worship in spirit and in truth. And so we have a connection to God by the Holy Spirit that was not heard of, that did not exist for very many people before Jesus came and left his spirit with us. So there's spirit, but, but then there's truth. Well, for one, God is truth. Um, God has created all truth. Everything that, that we know as truth came from God. So two plus two equals four, that's God. Uh, the fact that I can stand here and not plummet to my death, that's from God. The fact that I can stand here and not be flown off of the surface of the, of the earth, that's God. That's truth. But it also means that, that we objectively and in what is known and observed worship God. So so we objectively worship God, we, we use our minds when we worship God, we don't, just, we don't just check out. So it's a mind and a heart thing, it's a spirit and a truth thing. And I like this, the, the truth is, 
It's the getting to that place where the candor of mind, where you're really honest with yourself, where you're free from the affections of the world, from pretense, from simulation, from falsehood, from lies, from deceit. Getting to that place in your mind where, where you've, gone, you've gotten beneath all of the layers of all of the walls that you put up, you've gotten down to the heart of who you are, and in truth and in your spirit, you are real with God and you worship God in your heart. See, we, we, must, we have to, as a church, as followers of Christ, as real followers of Christ, we have, to, we have to worship God with more than religion. We have to get to a level that is deeper than all of the layers that we may be stuck on. Our worship of God must be free of the pretenses that we put on worship. It has to be free from external pretense, from physical pretense. Our worship has to be free from the sin that has coated our hearts. Our, our worship has to be free from the falsehood and deceit associated with religious practices that are habitual and not an authentic expression of relationship. We have to get free of all of those things, and that's why I think Jesus walked this woman through that, because he wanted her to get truly free from these layers that she was trapped in. And we have to get really down deep to the heart. And the heart is, when you really encounter Jesus, you change everything about your life. When you really encounter Jesus, you walk away and you change everything. When you really encounter Jesus, this is what happens. Look, <clears throat> the disciples returned, they were gone. Verse 27, um, leaving her water jar, verse 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him. They start talking about food. Let's, food, let's skip down to verse 39. We're gonna, not going to deal with that passage right now. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we, know, we don't no longer believe because of what you said. We now believe because we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Here's what I hope you take away from this morning. Real worship flows from life change. Real worship flows from life change. Real, real worship doesn't flow from, from all of these things that we've put on it. We've, put, we've kind of layered all of these things over thousands of years of church history that we think worship is supposed to look like. But real worship flows out of a life that has been truly changed by Christ. True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth with their mind and with their soul, setting their mind's attention and their heart's affection on who God is and what he's done. And that's a great definition of worship if you've been looking for one. Setting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on who God is and what he's done. Worship is setting your mind's attention, taking all the things that cloud your mind out, and setting your mind's attention on who God is and what he's done, and setting your heart's affection on who God is and what he's done. You see, true worship cannot be judged externally. And we have, we have come up with these external qualifications that we use to judge whether or not someone is worshiping. 
and having been a worship leader for 10 years, I can tell you that some of the most surprising conversations I've had are with the people who I look at and watch during a worship service, and I think, I am not reaching this person today. They have totally checked out. They're not worshiping at all. And then they come up after me and say, that was one of the greatest worship experiences I've ever been in. Remember, there was one guy at one of the church. I was just sitting there, and he was right in the, right at the, we had two aisles, and he was, and then a section of seats behind the aisle over here, and he was sitting right at the end of this aisle, and he just stood there like this the whole time. Didn't sing, didn't do anything, just, just stood there. And when you see that, you think, he's checked out. He's not worshiping. How can anybody worship with their arms folded? How can anyone worship without singing? How can anyone worship without raising their hands, without dancing, without clapping, without... So we put all these qualifications on worship. And he came up after the service and said to me, that was the best worship experience I can remember in a long time. Thank you for for taking me into God's presence today. True worship can't be judged externally. So just because someone doesn't sing or raise their hands or close their eyes or dance or raise the roof doesn't mean that they aren't worshiping. But on the flip side, just because someone is singing, just because someone is clapping or raising their hands or raising the roof doesn't mean that they are worshiping. Because the Lord doesn't look at the things that we look at to judge whether someone is worshiping. God doesn't look at those things. God looks at the heart. And that's actually in the Bible if you want to look it up. The Lord looks at our heart. It's a great story. I would encourage you to go read that one. It's, in the, it's about David when David is getting selected to be the king. And, and somebody comes and he's a scrawny little guy. And, and uh, nobody's even thought of him. And, and, and uh, Samuel is going through all the other brothers and... And he gets to one that, that, that the father thinks would be a good king. And he says, no, that's not the one. That's not him. But look at him. Look at him. Look at, look at his stature. Look at how he is. And he replies by saying, the Lord looks at the heart. See, it's not for us to judge where others are in their worship. That's for God and It's for us to judge where we are in our worship. And we need to be real with ourselves. We need to be real with, with where we are. We need to be real with what layer we are, we are on and, and give permission to God to, to peel back that next layer. We, we have to evaluate where we are and then let God go deeper. Let God have more of our hearts. Let God have more of our spirit, more of our mind. God's not content to just leave us at the well. He's not content to just leave us where we were so that we just go back to our lives the same as we came. Can you imagine if that's how the story was? Let's try it. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well It was about the sixth hour. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, he got up and walked away. Right at the beginning, when when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, he didn't get up and walk away. He didn't look the other way. He looked right at the woman and started a conversation that led to her becoming the greatest evangelist in all of the New Testament. She is the greatest evangelist, or at least in the Gospels, maybe not the whole New Testament, but in the Gospels, she's the one that brings the most people back to Jesus. The most people come back to Jesus because of this woman's testimony. God's not content to just leave us at the well so that we can go back to our lives the exact same way that we came. Instead, he wants us to have an encounter with the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One. Listen to what she says in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Uh, I don't know what she thinks just happened because he just explained all about worship. But um, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then he declared, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. he. He doesn't just want us to have an encounter with him because we see in the Gospels, as you read through the New Testament, we see that a lot of people had an encounter with him and they turned and never came back. An encounter is not the, the only thing. He wants us to have our lives changed eternally by him. He wants us to, to walk away from the well He wants us to walk away from that thing, whatever it is. He wants us to walk away from it completely different from who we are. He wants us to walk away with a new life, with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new way of thinking so that we can go and live in a completely different way. If you're not willing to tell others about Jesus, then I wonder if you've ever actually accepted him as your Savior. I know that's bold and harsh, but... You see, we, like I've said many times when it comes to worship, we get excited about all these relationships that we have in our lives. We get excited about the girlfriends and the boyfriends. We get excited about our kids. We get excited about our neighbor. We get excited about movies. We get excited about sports. We get excited about restaurants. We get excited about all these things that we have some kind of relationship with, and then we go and tell everyone about it. We go and tell everyone about the boyfriend that we've got. We go and tell everyone about the girlfriend that we've got. We go and tell everyone about our our fiance and our wife or our husband. We go and tell everyone about this restaurant and how we just love this restaurant. We go and tell everyone about the movie and how we love this movie and everyone has to go see this movie. But we're not willing to go tell people about Jesus. What does that say about us? If we're not willing to tell people about Jesus, I wonder if we've ever truly worshiped him. Maybe the reason you don't tell others about Jesus is because you've allowed one of these layers to keep you from truly connecting with him for the first time. Maybe you've allowed a a superficial external layer, how you look, what you wear, the color of your skin. For me, your waistline, or how many inches. You let all of these things keep you from, from God, or... Or maybe it's something a little bit deeper, but not much, where we need something, but, but we just haven't gotten it for whatever reason, so, so we never really let God have control of our lives. We never let him change it. We, maybe you're, you're struggling with some kind of addiction, and, and you've just been in that for a long time, and it's physical, it's there, and you've never been able to get over it. You've never given it up to Christ. Or 
Maybe the reason is because there's some kind of sin in your life that you've never actually repented of. There's sin in your life that you've grown accustomed to, that you're comfortable with, that feels normal now. Everyone else is doing it. That's just the culture that we live in. Doesn't the church have to adapt to that? What does it mean to repent? It means to to change your mind for the better. It means to, with all of your heart, hate your past sins and turn to God. To repent means to, with all of your heart, hate your past sins and turn your heart to God. It's not just feeling sorry for what you did, but it's actually changing your mind and heart about it. So this morning, where are you? You know, just like Shrek, he, he had lots of layers up of protection. He, he didn't never get to know anyone, but through a silly little kid's movie, we can see what, what we can do when we let someone through one of the layers. Imagine how your life could be this morning if you let God through those layers. Imagine how your life could be if you let God go deeper in your heart and your life so that your mind's attention and your heart's affection was set on who God is and what he's done. So right now, in this moment, I'm gonna pray for us. Let's bow our heads together. And maybe you're here and you've, you've always been hindered by that first layer. You've always been hindered. You've always been kept from coming to God because of how you look, because of something external. Or maybe even because of how others look. I just encourage you to open up to God who looks at your heart and looks at the heart of everyone in this room. Open up to God and let him be the judge of those things. Maybe you're stuck on the second layer. Maybe you're stuck where, where you've needed something for a long time and you just haven't gotten it and that's keeping you from worshiping God. Well, maybe you just need to surrender that and turn that over and let God be God. Maybe God wants you to give up that thing so that you can come to him with all of your heart. Maybe he wants you to to give up that hope and that dream, that, that seeking and that searching for whatever that is because he really wants you to come to him. He doesn't want you to just view him as a vending machine, as someone who, who gives you what you want because you pray enough, but he wants you to come for him. Maybe you're stuck on that third layer. There's a sin that you've been dealing with for so long that you've gotten used to it and you don't even feel guilty about it anymore. And that's keeping you from worshiping God. Or maybe you've made a religion out of worship and and it's not about God anymore. It's about what you do. It's about how you perform. It's about all the external justifications you put on worship. Wherever you are this morning, God wants us to go beneath all of those layers and get to the heart where we worship him with all of our heart, with our spirit, with, with our existence, with our mind, with our thinking. He wants us to set aside everything and focus on him with all of our hearts.
So this morning, we're going to have a couple of guys up here who can pray with you. You can come and kneel before the cross. You can come and surrender something. Don't do the second version of the story that I read this morning. Don't, don't just follow that second, story, that second story that most of us follow where we just get up and leave and walk away and don't let Jesus in to change anything. Instead, allow God to peel back the layers of your life and get truly down deep into your heart and let him be the Messiah. Let him be the anointed one. Let him be the one who is going after your heart and has ruling power in your heart that sits on the throne of your heart. Just like we talked about last week, that there's no one else, there's nothing else, there's not money, there's not a job, there's not a career, there's nothing else that's keeping you from God, but but you have decided that you are going to lay it all down and you're going to go after God this morning with all of your heart, mind, all of your soul. So as we sing this song, as we as we continue on and worship this morning, make a move. Do something that, that's that's just stepping out one step further than you've been. Do something that 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 shows God, I'm in this. You know, I, want, I want to see more of you in my life. I want to have more of you in my life. And take a step in that direction, whatever the step is. Take a step and go there. Go where you've never gone before see what God can do because God wants to do great things in your heart. God wants to do amazing things in your life and through your life, but he can't when we're still in control of it. So we need to fall on our knees. We need to worship. We need to surrender. We need to give up all of our hearts. We need to give up everything so that in my life and who I am right now, we can truly say that God is glorified, that God is lifted high. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way that you have touched my life, the way that you have rescued me from from a life that, that was not glorifying you, from a life that was not committed to you. Father, I pray that for everyone who's in this room this morning that no longer be trapped by these layers, the external things that keep us from coming to you with everything that we have and our pride and getting in the way or just the fact that we just don't even care. And Father, may we come to you maybe for the first time with a heart that's surrendered.